Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 4, 7-16, called Equipped to Serve. Now, we talked about in Ephesians, uh, when we move from three to four, after Paul gave that majestic prayer, Paul used the word therefore in Ephesians 4, verse one, and we talked about a transition from the wealth of the believer to the walk of the believer, and Paul described himself as the prisoner of the Lord. He said, I entreat you to walk, Ephesians 4, one, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then he gave us ways that we can do that because we're always looking for ways to walk worthy. And he said, with all humility, and we, we described that word, and gentleness and patience and showing forbearance to one another in love. We're to be diligent, Ephesians 4.3, to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, these, these are all the things we share in common as the church. This is what brings us unity. One body, one spirit, one hope of, our, of your calling. One Lord, verse five, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, Paul has summarized that worthy walk, and he talked about what unifies us, and now he goes, he's going to go into an individual expression of that unity. He says in verse 7, Ephesians 4, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, he's going to begin to break down the individual call from the unity in the body, and each one, each one of us has a grace gift from God. We are called by God to produce fruit, and that fruit comes from sitting under the teaching of the word of God, seeking the face of God in prayer, worship, all those things that we often talk about. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 13, it says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, 12 and 13 so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, listen to this, which also performs its work in you who believe. What God is saying through Paul is that the more of the word of God we take in, the more the word of God performs its work in us. And what the word does is it begins to shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ, and God begins to distill for us the individual calling with which we have been called. What does our individual call look like? What are the grace gifts that God has given to us, and how do we use them? Each one of us has a gift from God. Look at verse seven. It says, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us have a gift from God. The Bible says in John 15, verse eight, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We have been given grace gifts, custom made from God, Ephesians 2.10, from all eternity that we should walk in them. That's our part. 
First Timothy 4, uh, I think it's verse 14, Paul said, don't neglect the spiritual gift that is within you. That tells me that you can neglect it. He said, don't neglect the spiritual gift that's within you. You need to fan it into flame. And we have to be constantly reminded that we have spiritual gifts. Most of us have plural gifts or more than one gift. And we are to engage those gifts and we are to walk and please God and excel still each, uh, still all the more. Each one of us was given grace, charis. Uh, it was given, it was not earned. Look at verse seven. According to the measure of Christ's gifts, gift. The one that measures it out to us is Jesus Christ. There's a similar idea in Romans 12 when Paul deals with spiritual gifts and he talks about the grace, the measure of grace that we've been given. The measure of faith, uh, actually, it says that we've been given. And we respond to the grace we've been given by faith. That's how you engage your gifts, by the way, by faith. You know, uh, none of us feel adequate for ministry. Even though we have grace gifts from God, eventually you have to engage them by faith. If you have the gift of teaching, the Bible says, then teach. If you have the gift of exhortation, then exhort. If you have the gift of giving, then we'd like to talk to you after the service. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, you know, those kinds of things. Whatever gift you have, Paul's most important point in Romans 12 is engage that gift. Don't let it sit on the shelf. Engage it for the glory of the gift giver and employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Therefore, Paul links the idea of gifts with this particular thought in verse eight. It says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, the subject of gifts is still the main theme here. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Because all of us wonder. Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended, 10, is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, you remember at the end of Ephesians 3, Paul was praying for the uh, Ephesian believers and by extension, all believers, and he prayed these words. He said in verse 19, Ephesians 3, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In 4.10, it says, he ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, what does he fill? Well, he fills believers. You can be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's an amazing thought. But that's one of the things that Jesus wants to do in your life is fill you up to all his fullness. And in order to be filled up with his fullness, you gotta get rid of all the things that were mentioned in Ephesians 4, verses one through three. Things like pride. That's why it talked about humility. See, pride can stamp out the things of the spirit. Later on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, 431, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. There's something you need to get rid of and something you need to put on. We'll see that in Ephesians chapter 6. And so these gifts have been given to us by the one who ascended on high. But before he ascended, he first descended to the lower parts of the earth. 
Now, there have been two major views that I know of in terms of this particular passage. One major view, and there was church dogma that taught this, is that the righteous dead existed in a compartment in Hades. There were two compartments. Hades was kind of the, known as the abode of the dead, even among the pagans, and there was a god called Hades in paganism. Well, Hades was a biblical term that came to mean the abode of the dead. And in Luke 16, and I don't have time to get into it tonight, Jesus gave us a look into that place. And remember, there was a rich man and a man named Lazarus. There was a great chasm that uh, divided the two. The, the uh, Lazarus, the poor beggar, was on the side of paradise or Abraham's bosom, close to Abraham, uh, side by side, if you will. And the rich man was in torment and he was asking for Lazarus to come and bring some water, remember, to cool his tongue. And Abraham's response through Jesus telling the story was nobody can cross over, it's fixed. You're there, we're here, and we can't cross over one to another. And then the the beggar said, or the rich man said, then send Lazarus the beggar to my father's house that he might testify, for I have five brothers, lest they come into this place of torment. And the response from Abraham, Abraham was, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one comes back from the dead, then they will believe. And he said, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if one rises from the dead. And of course, in the very history in which Jesus spoke those words, he rose from the dead, and many did not believe, and many still do not believe, even though the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is incredible, incredible evidence. And so that's one major view that Jesus proclaimed his victory to the people in Hades, the, those who were the wicked departed along with spirits in some sort of holding tank. He proclaimed his victory, not a second chance gospel, but just proclaimed his victory and then cleaned out the compartment of the righteous and led a train into heaven, into the presence of God. The church dogma said, that the righteous dead could not exist in the presence of God prior to the actual crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus because the payment for redemption had not been completed. That's one major view. Second major view is that when it talks about Jesus first descending and then ascending, it simply means his descent is the, the incarnation. His descending means he became human, He came to the lower parts of the earth, if you will, lived and moved among us, took on humanity, lived the perfect life that we could not live, died on the cross, and then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And that is another major view among the church, that it simply means his descension in the incarnation and his ascension back to heaven, as we see at the end of the book of Luke. Uh, There's good scholars on both sides of the equation. I have leaned towards the first view personally, but there's merit to the second view, and I don't think it's anything that we need to be dogmatic about or divide over. But there is an interesting verse in Luke 24. I want you to go there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's describing the very end of Jesus' ministry uh, before Luke gets into the book of Acts, and he says these words. Jesus has been telling the disciples once again what their mission is. Luke 24, 47. He said that repentance for forgiveness of sins, Luke 24, 47, should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, 24, 49. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power 
from on high. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations this year. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And that is another major view among the church, that it simply means his descension in the incarnation and his ascension back to heaven, as we see at the end of the book of Luke. Uh, There's good scholars on both sides of the equation. I have leaned towards the first view personally, but there's merit to the second view, and I don't think it's anything that we need to be dogmatic about or divide over. But there is an interesting verse in Luke 24. I want you to go there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's describing the very end of Jesus's ministry uh, before Luke gets into the book of Acts, and he says these words. Jesus has been telling the disciples once again what their mission is. Luke 24, 47, he said that repentance for forgiveness of sins, Luke 24, 47, should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, 24, 49. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, right there on the slope of the Mount of Olives, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. The tense of the verbs here speak that he was rising uh, slowly, and this is going to be in verse 51, it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And there's the implication there that as he was parting or ascending back into heaven, he was in some way pouring gifts out to them. Now the ultimate gift would be the power of the Holy Spirit. It's to your advantage that I go away for if I don't know, don't go, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then 10 days later in the book of Acts, we have the feast of, remember? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And then you see this amazing power and gifting flourishing in the church. Well, there may be some sort of down payment of that, Jesus raising his hands, much like the high priest did in Leviticus 9, and extending blessings to his people. It does say in Ephesians 4 that it is Christ's gift to the church. Let's go back there. And so Christ does give us gifts. They come via the Holy Spirit, as we see in other passages. But we get these grace gifts from God. And when Jesus ascended back into heaven, 
Uh, he poured out these gifts to his church, as I mentioned, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens. The, the Bible says over and over again that Jesus ascended, sat down at the right hand of God, at the majesty on high, and what does he ever live to do now? To make intercession for his people. How, how does he do that? Well, one of the ways he does that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways he does that is to give you power for living, to give you grace gifts, to give you the ability to evangelize, to give you wisdom in terms of your everyday life and uh, protection and, and so forth. Jesus also intercedes for us in terms of our temptation, which is what uh, Hebrews 4 teaches us, that he is there at the right hand of God and that we can come to him and get help in our time of need. And he will stabilize us even in the storms of life. And so this is the ascended king now. He's ascended back into heaven, uh, there in glory, and now he intercedes for the church. And so that's why we should come to him regularly, because he ever lives to help us, to be our intercessor, to, to be there for us in terms of what we need. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. He leads us in triumphant victory. And what we have in that verse and in this particular section is a quote from Psalm 68, 18. The context of it was the the conquest of the, the Jebusite city under King David. But there was this idea of a victory parade, and many of you can relate to a victory parade thinking of a sports team that wins a championship, and they'll have a ticker tape parade. Well, Roman generals used to do that, and Roman generals, when they had the ticker tape parade, they would go through, and they would be the conquering hero, and they would be lauded by the people, and they would often have captives that they had taken in war. So they might have the king of the area that they had dominated. They might have prisoners of war, but they also say in these victory parades, they had people in the train that were held by the enemy that were now freed, and they were part of the victory parade as well. And so some see in that victory parade the host of captives being the righteous dead being led back into the throne room of God. That's possible in the language of Psalm 68, verse 18. But the bigger point, I think, instead of getting caught up in all the details of that view, is to just say we have help, and Christ pours out gifts to the church, and he has given to each one of us grace gifts that we are to employ in his service. What are they? Well, it says in verse 11, and this speaks of we've heard of our heavenly help. If you want to divide it this way, we have heavenly help from the Lord. Here's our earthly help, verse 11. And he, and Jesus is still in view, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And what did he give them for? He gave them for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So now we get some specifics about what Christ gives. And one of his gifts to his church is apostles and prophets. We, we believe the foundation of the church, and you can write down Ephesians 2, verse 20, to see the foundation is built upon the apostles and prophets. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Some he gave as evangelists. We certainly believe that that's a role today, uh, and that can be an office today. We're all called to evangelize, but we are not all necessarily evangelists. And the role of an evangelist in a church is to stir the church to evangelism. 
And so we don't often think of when we're trying to uh, think of church staff and we're trying to think of people's callings that one of the things that an evangelist does is he equips the church as well. Many of you have heard this passage taught and you know that pastors and teachers are given to the church for the equipping of the saints and that's certainly true and that would be one of my major points tonight. But, But another point to consider is that an evangelist is also given for the equipping of the saints to do what? To equip us to evangelize and how we need that. How we need people in the church to tell us we need to get busy in evangelism because the statistics on evangelism, according to modern polls they've taken, are pretty weak. It says only about 5% of, 5% of us regularly share our faith. That's pretty sad. When you think that's one of the major missions of the church and 95% of it, us aren't doing it. And so the role of the evangelist is to come and to equip the saints and say, here's how you do it. Now, I'm an evangelist at heart. I don't have as much time uh, for evangelism as I used to because I do a lot of studying and preparation for teaching. And I do think that God has graced me with both gifts. And I do try to stir people to evangelism from the pulpit because we need it. And I need it. I like to listen to evangelists who will shake my tree, if you know what I'm saying. Because it's easy to get lazy, it's easy to put evangelism on the back burner, and I'll hear a message from an evangelist, and I'll start putting gospel tracks back in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we get lazy about it. Sometimes we just kind of go on vacation from evangelism. Um, you know, and then we hear a message, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Oh, that's right. And you get the gospel tracks back out, and you start looking for people that you might share the good news of the gospel. God gave some as apostles, some as prophets. I think those offices are, are now past us. Some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, a pastor here is poimen. It means a shepherd. A shepherd feeds, and he guides, and he protects. So you have that. And teachers, and some see pastors and teachers as a synonymous type of gift, but they are given for the equipping of the saints. Now see that word equipping? That word means to furnish for service or for action. An evangelist and a pastor and teacher is supposed to equip the saints, get this, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Not only are we supposed to equip you to serve, your service is supposed to build up the body of Christ. You've been listening to Equipped to Serve, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 4, 7-16. through 16. Don't forget, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Walk in Truth is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'd love to connect with you. It's great to meet our listeners, and not everyone can visit the church here in Corona, California, although we recommend you do. But either way, please connect with Walk in Truth on social media. And thanks. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, as we focus on Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, we can see that we have a God who not only came to save us, but he gives us gifts. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, but he also gives us spiritual gifts. And those gifts are to be used in the equipping of his body or the edifying of other believers. And it's so beautiful how he does this. And, you know, we are saved by grace, but we want to serve. 
and we want to equip others. And that's what this text is all about. And speaking of being equipped and serving, we have a men's conference coming up called Run with Endurance. It's based upon Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 from that great passage. And one of the points of that passage is that we have this great cloud of witnesses that have run the race before us, and they encourage us to run well as well. And this conference for men, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. is happening on September the 18th, Run With Endurance at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Now, we're going to have worship, teaching, encouragement, breakout groups, some games, breakfast and lunch included. And if you sign up quickly enough, you'll even get a T-shirt. Now, you can register at walkintruth.com for this Run With Endurance men's conference, walkintruth.com, or call 844-48-TRUTH with any questions that you have. That's 844-48-TRUTH. We are here to try to equip you and serve you, and we are grateful for each one in our listening family that prays for us and that serves us in this way, that you pray for us, you support this ministry financially, you tell other people about it, and we're grateful. And we just want to tell you that we appreciate you and we love you. And tomorrow we'll do a part two on Equipped to Serve. Lord willing, we'll see you right here. And one more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God about that. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, please become a partner of at least $5 a month. You can visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, called Equipped to Serve. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.